There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Sometimes being the champion of the people can place you in the crosshairs of dangerous individuals. On January 4th, 1856, a man was born who would, in some circles, become an incredibly popular politician. A job he got by doing anything that was necessary and making enemies along the way. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. William Justice Goble was born on January 4, 1856 in Sullivan County, Pennsylvania. The son of German immigrants who came to the U.S. after the reform movement in their area failed, William spoke only German until he was six years old. After a stint in the Union Army, William's father moved the family to Covington, Kentucky, where, the second largest city in the Commonwealth, a thriving German and Irish community resided. Given new opportunities, William was able to receive quite the education, and after graduating from the law school of the Cincinnati College, he was invited to work at the firm of ex-governor John White Stevenson. Through this man, William gained valuable connections, and considered a man with an excellent legal mind and sound values, he became acquainted with some of the Democratic Party's key players who welcomed him with open arms. At least... At the very beginning, they did. Becoming something of an expert on contracts, corporations, and the railroads, William began to notice how big businesses seemed to circumvent their responsibilities and put profit above their workers because there were no state laws regulating employment practices. So in 1883, William began his own practice and started taking on corporations and railroads, specifically the Louisville and Nashville Railroad, L&N, which at the time was the largest rail network in Kentucky. Hoping to help the overworked, underpaid, and mistreated railway employees who now came to him for help, William also took on the cases of widows who tragically lost husbands in wrecks. Successfully defending the individuals arrested for supporting the workers' strike in 1894, William not only waived his own legal fees, but paid their bonds and hailed as a hero he gained notoriety as the, quote, poor man's lawyer and the, quote, champion of the common man. Over the course of 15 years in this line of work, William Goebel never lost a case. Just 30 years old at the time, the staunch Democrat not only earned himself a hell of a lot of respect, but made a fair share of enemies along the way. Described as not particularly, quote, genial, William would only greet those he considered friends with a handshake and simply seemed to ignore the others. Never linked romantically and later becoming the only governor of Kentucky who never married, journalist Irving S. Cobb claimed, quote, I never saw a man who physically so closely suggested the reptilian as this man did. With others commenting on his, quote, contemptuous lips, quote, sharp nose, and, quote, humorless eyes. Despite being a poor public speaker, William's work and intellect spoke for itself. And in 1887, his political aspirations came to fruition when he won the election for the Kentucky State Senate. Mind you, this was a time where democratic power was beginning to decline. Economic conditions were poor. Workers' wages were unfairly low. Taxes were incredibly high 
and many, like the farmers, found themselves in a ton of debt. Campaigning on a platform of railroad regulation and labor causes, during his first term as senator, the State Railroad Commission increased to over $3 million tax evaluation on the property of the L&N Railroad. And when a proposal from pro-railroad legislators in the Kentucky House of Representatives to abolish their railroad commission altogether was passed, William was placed on the committee formed to investigate lobbying by the railroad industry. Uncovering significant violations, he also helped to defeat the bill in the Senate, and as a result, his popularity only increased and paved the way for his re-election in 1889. Brokering deals with fellow lawmakers and his willingness to break those deals when a better one came along earned him the nickname William the Conqueror. And in 1890, he served as a delegate to Kentucky's Fourth Constitutional Convention, which produced what is now the Constitution of Kentucky. Though he showed a little interest in participating in the creation process, he did secure the inclusion of the Railroad Commission in the new Constitution. And according to the sources, quote, used the Constitution as a vehicle to enact laws which he had not been able to pass in the more conservative legislature. Winning another term in 1893, by the following year, William had been elected as the president pro tempore of the Kentucky Senate. Though most of his focus seemed to be on the railways and its workers, he also fought for schools, pushing for improvements, and rallied for women's right to vote for school board members and serve as school trustees and as members of the Board of Education. He also favored regulations for doctors, restrictions on convict labor, pushed for better prisons, free roads, and for the rights of Kentucky's black citizens. He also blamed Republicans for practically everything wrong in the world, and even some Democrats started to fear his influence. He was a champion for the voters, but an enemy of the ex-Confederate ruling class. And, much to their dismay, he just kept getting re-elected into office. One of the many bills pushed forth by William Goble was the one that reduced the toll charges on Covington roads that were owned by a corporation. Great for citizens, but horrible for the corporation. One of these men, ex-Confederate colonel, businessman, and banker, John Lawrence Sanford, was furious when the stock he owned in the corporation basically became worthless to him. So, in an act of retaliation, John blocked William's chance at becoming a judge on the Court of Appeals. With both men seething and John losing out on a large chunk of money, on April 11, 1895, William Goble and two acquaintances went into Covington to cash a check. And though avoiding John's bank, they found that the man was standing outside and began speaking to them before they could cross the street to a different establishment. Offering the men his left hand in greeting, William noticed that John's right hand held a pistol that he had concealed in his pocket. And, armed himself, William grabbed his revolver and at 1.30 p.m., both men drew their weapons and the sound of gunfire rang out. Unsure even now who shot first, John's bullet passed through William's coat, ripping his pants, and William's shot fatally struck John's head. Dying five hours later, William pleaded in court that his actions were in self-defense and he was ultimately acquitted. Though the lack of conviction let him continue holding public office, William's popularity suffered tremendously. 
especially amongst Kentucky's Confederate veterans, who, noting his non-Southern background and his father's service with the Union Army, turned up their nose at the senator. This, however, did not stop him from running for governor of Kentucky. After putting a pause on running for public office and instead devoting his time and energy to obtaining control of the political party machinery in his county, managing to place, quote, his men in various offices and county governments, William set his sights on the fight to become governor along with two other opponents, Parker Watkins Hardin and William Johnson Stone. Ever the planner and knowing exactly how to work the system, when it appeared that Parker Hardin was the frontrunner for the nomination, both Williams paired up together and set their sights on destroying his chances. Realizing that Stone supporters would endorse whoever William picked to preside over the 1899 party convention, promises were made and, in exchange, half the delegates from Louisville who were pledged to William Goebel were told to vote instead to nominate William Stone. William Goebel then promised to drop out of the race, but would name many of the other officials on the ticket. After agreeing that, should one of them be defeated or withdraw, they would encourage their delegates to vote for the other man, and not Parker Hardin, the plan was set into motion. The plan, though going different than expected, did seem to work, and when word spread about what was going to happen, Parker Hardin dropped out of the race. And when the convention came to an end that June, several chaotic ballots resulted in no clear majority, and one of the chairmen, one of William Goebel's, quote, men, decided that the man with the lowest vote total in the next canvas would be dropped. That man was, of course, William Stone. William Goebel was nominated, but though his tactics weren't necessarily illegal, it did cause another blow to his popularity and caused a massive divide within the party. Though a separate convention took place, held by a disgruntled faction calling themselves the, quote, Honest Election Democrats, and nominated John W. Brown as their gubernatorial candidate, the Republican candidate ended up winning by less than 3,000 votes. However, after some back and forth about voting irregularities, a large number of Republican ballots were invalidated, and the election was given to William Goebel. The Republicans were absolutely furious, and for several days, the entire state sat with bated breath and watched as Kentucky was on the brink of a full-on civil war. While they sat and watched, William Goebel took office. But because the election results were still being disputed, rumors and rumblings began, and many worried about a potential assassination. Those worries came to fruition when, on January 30th, 1900, William Goebel, flanked by two bodyguards, walked into the old state capitol, and, though reports vary on the exact chain of events, five or six shots were fired from the nearby state building, and the newly elected governor was shot in the chest. The militia were called in, and the General Assembly was called into a special session, as William fought for his life. With both Democrats and Republicans claiming authority, causing quite a mess in the process, William, the day after being shot, was sworn into office as governor, and in what would be his first and only official act, he signed the proclamation to dissolve the militia. Despite the care of 18 physicians, after just three days in the office, Governor William Justice Goebel died on February 3, 1900. 
He is the only American governor to ever be assassinated while in office. It was later ruled that the General Assembly had acted legally in declaring him the winner of the election. But after his death and an appeal by the Supreme Court, Williams Lieutenant Governor J.C.W. Beckham ascended into governorship. In the end, everyone charged in connection with the murder was either acquitted or eventually pardoned. The name and identity of his assassin remains unknown. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on January 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.